0: Culture. This is a podcast um, that talks about different cultures, um, being in between cultures, and what that means for different people from different continents, different um, countries, different languages, and how there is a commonality, yet there's differences, and how people navigate um, having more than one culture. Um, And also... uh, part of this reason behind all this is sharing the multiple cultures to everyone and creating a more open-minded or open-minded society um, and where people can view and connect and see in a respectful way um, how people come together and um, how culture has an impact on people's identity and the construction and influence on a person's worldview. So, today we have um, Mohammed, um, and we will start. Who are you? Uh,
1: my name is uh, Mohammed. Oh, oh. My name is Mohammed Awad Al Hassan, technically Gaddura, which is my family name, but somehow that fell off of our documentation a generation ago because people didn't really pay that kind of attention. Little did they know that soon you would actually have to have this kind of permanent family name that would follow you around. So I have the Arabic equivalent name of John Smith. It's a very common name. Uh, I'm also an engineer and a person with too many hobbies there. That's that's a nice intro. Uh, Oh yeah, and uh, my parents, I am from the Sudan. My parents are from the Sudan. Um, Their parents were from the Sudan as far back as probably anyone can remember. And now I live here. Uh, I feel like I'm Sudanese, but when I meet people that I don't know or who I don't want to spend a lot of time explaining things to, I just say I'm from New York because that's where I spent the bulk of my childhood, and it's where I feel like I'm from.
0: Where's your
2: heritage from? Uh,
1: the Sudan. It's it's East Africa. It's the. It used to be the biggest country in Africa until it was partitioned three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. Um, a million square miles. It's huge. Um, between Egypt and ethiopia on the red sea coast with a very short red sea coast sudan has seven neighbors Uh, our heritage is a mix is a mishmash of uh, arab and african and some indigenous you know long-term like the new nubians nubian peoples um it's really an interesting place which in the modern world has become sort of a boring dusty place that nobody really pays attention to or goes to. But there's like a lot of history, like crazy amounts of history. Uh, There's um, very big influence from sort of Muslim culture, uh, deeply ingrained in the north. In the south, uh, which is not where my family is from, my family is from the north. Uh, Just, you know, one of the Nile River uh, clans or tribes or whatever you want to call them—it's just a grouping. Um, that's yeah. That that's where we're from. Uh, I still feel pretty connected to Southerners, Southern Sudanese people who are now from South Sudan, because uh, I—it's hard for me to let go in, in the divorce. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's that's a long-winded answer.
2: So can you? Since we're in that, can you? Tell a little bit of the history, like what's what's Sudan? What is it not? Um,
1: oh God, I don't even know where to start. We could go back. We could go back five thousand years.
2: Sure, just I like a little. Imagine. This is Sudan.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 like if if no one whoever watches this if they have absolutely no idea about anything historical about Sudan, you know, like Egypt is more well known, I guess.
1: Yeah, Egypt. Egypt is the flashy. Uh, the flashy sibling, Sudan is the more solid sibling. with Very similar backgrounds. Um, the Sudan used to be a source for the ancient Egyptians of stuff: gold, ivory, uh, slaves, um, wheat. I mean, it's a it's a more um, it's a more fertile land. Whereas Egypt, you basically had you know two two to five miles on either side of the river that you could plant in. The Sudan had much wider alluvial plains and just a lot of minerals, um, marble, sandstone, everything. Uh, But it was sparsely populated. Um, The north is very uh, deserty, but uh, as you go further south, uh, it becomes more and more arable land um, and it could have been the breadbasket of Africa. in the, I don't know, second century BC, between the second century BC and the second century AD, excuse my shaky understanding, uh, Sudanese kings and queens ruled over Egypt. The Kushites spread out of northern Sudan um, during a lull in the sort of in in the, you know in the way that things do. Uh, uh, and they swept through Egypt conquering it and all of its possessions all the way into Lebanon and for four generations Sudanese kings and queens ruled over ruled over the civilized world and then all that went away Uh, weak rulers plus you know natural disaster plus all the stuff that happens that happened back in the day that was You know, when things were sort of on a really uh, shaky, everything was shaky. It was very hard to start an empire. And they got driven back and uh, it's interesting because the Egyptian culture was so dominant that the Sunnis culture began to look like Egyptian culture before. You know, so there were pyramids, so there are pyramids in the Sudan and there was sort of worship of the you know the gods the egyptian gods the egyptian pantheon and they just added their own gods to the egyptian pantheon like oh this is this other god that you guys didn't know about it's always been there that's our god um and for you know hundreds of years it you know it sort of went back and forth there were the uh, warrior queens of northern Sudan, the Candaces, they're also in the Bible. But I mean, the, that period where we ruled over Egypt, that's in the Bible, like in the Book of Kings, they talk about Taharqa, uh, you know, the, the black pharaoh. Um, but there were also a bunch of Sudanese warrior queens, the Candaces, Kandakat, that, you know, they, they defeated the Romans. There's a, I, I visited a Roman, the last outpost of the Roman Empire, basically a temple in the middle of nowhere in the Sudan that must have been close to a river, a river at that point when they built it but that was the f- furthest south that the Roman Empire had gotten and then they got swept back and uh, the... I think the... the uh, is Amanitiri? Uh... I think it's her. Anyway, she she's the one-eyed, the one-eyed queen. She led her forces north, they they defeated the Romans and they chased them down and then she cut off the Roman general's head and sent it back to Rome as a warning, you know, please don't come back. And they didn't. So the, that was the, the glory days. And it slowly got sort of smaller and smaller and more fragmented. Um, and somewhere after that, uh, a bunch of Christian kingdoms sprung up in in Central Sudan, which is very interesting. Um, and unlike the rest of North Africa, you know, uh, Egypt, Libya, Tunis, Algeria, Morocco, those were all um, Islamicized by conquest. Um, the Sudan, strangely enough, was Islamized by trade and by um, intermarriage. So it's interesting. Uh, The Muslim expansion, there's this wave of conquest that goes across the north, and it hits the western shore of Africa, and then sort of drifts back. And, you know, people would, people converted, and they would go to Mecca, and as they traveled, they would travel through the Sudan, and because it was the sort of thing that most people couldn't do, or they couldn't do easily, um, you know, some people would not make it some people would die obviously, but some people would just go as far as they could and then just settle. Be like, I run out of money, I can't do this anymore, and they settle and they marry. And so it was this interesting situation where the nobility are all Christians and the common people were all Muslims. Um and you know, the minute that the nobility, someone from the nobility marries a a Muslim lady, then you know, you're or or man, I suppose. Uh, although probably more likely that it'd be the other direction. Then it's, you know, their kids will probably be raised as Muslims by their mother, and then you know, then that person becomes the Sultan or, or whatever, and before you know it, you have these small Muslim kingdoms um, in the south uh, or in the or in the Sudan, and uh, the effect of Christianity Christianity is uh, is diluted. The, although there was always Christianity because we're just north of Ethiopia which is the oldest Christian kingdom Uh, and I'm sure you probably talked to some Ethiopians around here, there's a ton in the area, in the Bay Area. Um, Interestingly the Sudan and Ethiopia have a very... it's interesting because the Sudan is basically trapped between these very dominant cultures and so a lot of the things I didn't know this but my dad uh, worked in uh, Ethiopia for a couple years and he's really into this stuff and he discovered that like a lot of not just Sudanese Muslim custom, but Muslim custom period comes from Ethiopia. The way Ethiopians pray, they prostrate themselves the way that, you know, Muslims do. They take off their shoes before they go into church, like Muslims do before going into mosques. They have similar words for things that probably did not exist in Arabic before they existed in Amharic. It's really fascinating stuff. So anyway, we have this very syncretic, a uh, mix between um, between uh, an Arab Muslim culture and Ethiopian Christian culture, and then whatever we had. Uh, and even when we had Christianity, it was even when we had Christianity, it was probably a lot more like like what they had than what is in you know Europe. Or, uh, or even um, in the you know sort of Christian areas of the Middle East like Lebanon or Syria or uh, or what became Jordan or or whatever. Um, so that all happened, and then all of a sudden, you know, we just started getting ignored. The Christian kingdoms sort of fell people decided they didn't want kings, there was sort of large population centers that were uh, trade, typically trade centers, or near the river, and then, and that was it, like it was there was no political, there's no unified political uh, unit. In fact, the Sudan as such, as, as it exists today, was never, a, was never a thing, it was a variety. There's always a variety of kingdoms and, and so on. And this, the Sudan as it exists today, is a function of decisions made by Englishmen and Frenchmen and Turks. You know, writing, uh, writing down uh, what they thought were were the correct or whatever that what it was convenient for them. It was you know once Egypt became important for protecting the Suez, and the French and the English. I'm just going to skip forward to the 1800s. There's like a lot in the middle, but. It's mostly really nitty-gritty stuff. Uh, it became important to protect the headwaters of the Nile. And, uh, and the, the Turks made deep forays. You know, the Ottoman uh, sultan, you know, considered himself to be the, the leader of the Islamic world. And so, you know, the, the local Sudanese people were like, okay, that's you say so. And then they were sort of uh, under the under the nominal control of the Turks, until the Turks were, you know, uh, sort of had to split Egypt between themselves and the British. And then the British came, and then the French were trying to scramble for Africa, so they came from the south. Um, And it's in that period that the Sudan begins to become a thing, uh, in in the in the late 1700s, mid 1800s. Um, and then we go into the the Mahdist Rebellion in the mid 1800s, when uh, this is he's sort of a, a man who claims to be the rightly guided, you know, uh, messenger of God, but not a prophet. Just you know, someone who's bringing you know bringing the Muslim world back into into alignment or where it needs to be. And he rose up and he's sort of you know he's a divisive figure he's both a nationalist figure which makes him very you know source of pride and whatever and he's also a religious figure which in the sudan you know i used to i grew up thinking oh well he's obviously a religious figure for all of this but it turns out that he's you know he led a specific sect uh, religious sect and so other sects don't necessarily believe him and there was a lot of resistance even within sudanese culture to his um, edicts but he gathered a large following and they marched into Umdurman which is the which was the capital at the time and they uh, you know they rid it of its uh, Turkish the the governor the Ottoman governor who was an Englishman and of course when the English heard that an Englishman had been killed they came down and they swept through and you know reconquered the country five or six years later um, and since then it became what was termed the Anglo-Egyptian Sudan. This is the Egyptian army with British administration and they ruled over it and they had governors and you know they fixed quote-unquote the borders Uh, and that's how it was until 1956 uh, which is when the Sudan was granted independence and since then I think there's a probably really short Wikipedia page to tell you everything happened since then. Uh, It's like government Revolution, government, revolution, government, revolution, government. Most of the governments have been terrible. Sudanese people in general are kind and welcoming and hospitable. And we were... we.
2: What I mean, is culture for you?
1: Well, uh, it's a difficult question to answer. It's like one of many difficult questions to answer. Culture is that thing, it's... All of the stuff, the food, the language, the songs you listen to, the lullabies your mom sings you, the stories your parents tell about what you are supposed to be. Um, And I know that that's a sort of sloppy, it's like so broad. Culture is something I think about a lot because I have a kid um, and I want her and she's she's going to be an a Amer- she's an american she was born here her mother is an american who was born here and i i want and i know that she will be she'll have all of the american culture stuff you know uh loving the flag and uh cheetos and you know baseball and apple pie and all of that stuff the language Uh, But I I don't want her, you know, even though I live here and even though though I'm going to probably die here, I want her to have that. I want her to have Sudanese culture. I want her to eat the things that we eat and to love them. I want her to be... I want her to think of family the way we think of family. Uh, I want her to speak the language, um, listen to our music, and care about it. Not just do it because I make her do it, but to for that to be a, a comfortable thing.
2: So what is Sudanese culture? Like, what's the music, what's the food, what's the... Well, you know, we are, Sudanese people are
1: notorious amongst themselves, certainly for thinking that we have the best of everything, the best food, the best culture, the most original, the, the hottest spices. But Sudanese culture is is a marginal culture and I mean that in the sense that it exists at the margins of much more culturally assertive or dominant cultures. Egyptian culture. like Egyptians think of themselves as Egyptians. Ethiopians may think of themselves as, you know, whatever subgroup are, you know, Omoro or Amhara or whatever, but they're Ethiopians, Eritreans, you know. Sudanese people only recently came to become Sudanese people. Our food is, half of it is, you know, Arab Mediterranean food, stuffed grape leaves, you know, stuffed vegetables or, uh, or you know, kofta, which is the, you know, the sort of ground ground beef sausage. Thing or you know, just little ground beef patties that are in like a sausage shape, um, with you know, rice and whatever, uh, Greek salad type stuff, uh, uh, feta cheese, but so that's part of it. But then there's all the stuff that sort of came from Ethiopia, it's like flat, flat, flatbreads, uh, with made with sorghum flour, um. um and sauces, so it's like it's like a really thin injera, with the sauces, uh, and yeah, we I mean we have a couple of things that are ours. We have weka, which is uh, this ground up okra powder that you put into other things to thick as a thickener. Um, the further north you, I mean it changes as you go north and east and south. Uh, where I'm, where my family, where my father's family particularly is from in the north, they have something called gurrasa and gurrasa is this. It's a flatbread, but it's a wheat flatbread, and it's like it's just like a big pancake, but it's like a a whole wheat pancake, and you have it again. You you do layers of it in a big bowl, and you pour, uh, you know, a sauce on it, and the sauces are, you know, fried onion based, with you know, either chunks of beef or. Or, you know, bone just for, you know, for the, uh, as the broth and then vegetables or what have you. There's an okra one. There's a, I don't know. There's a, there's a
2: There's a word for it, which I don't know. Um. Is there anything that you have adopted from another culture that is not your own culture? Or this current culture that you're in? Uh that you brought into your own Um, culture?
1: uh, I mean, probably. I'm a lot more tolerant in the way that, you know, in the way that people are somewhat more tolerant here. Sudan, it's a big country, but it's like being in a small town. Everybody knows everybody else, and everybody... And as a result, people tend to be really sort of intolerant. In the way that people in a small town can be intolerant, they're really—it's not necessarily malicious all the time, even though it might feel that way. Uh, More, it's more like, you know, in the—it's that's—I mean, the small town thing is the best way I can, you know. You you have to live with these people, so you mainly talk about them behind their backs, and tolerance about stuff like, you know, homosexuality or. You know, sex outside of marriage or any of that moral stuff. Whereas people, it's beyond the pale. You don't even talk about it uh, at home. You certainly are not open about it. Um, you know, I'm I'm much more open, and I think more tolerant. Maybe maybe I'm fooling myself, um, but uh, certainly I, I certainly feel like that's the thing that I I brought back. That sort of perspective. Um, What's home? Uh, Home is always going to be there. Home is always my parents' house there. You know, it's just, it's weird. Even when they didn't have a house there. So it's just the place. It's just this idea. Um, My wife doesn't like when I say that because home should be here with her, right? This is our home. Um, And she's right, you know, it is in a way it's here. But home will always be there. Deeply, like deep down inside, home is always going to be there. And it's weird because it's not like I want to go back. I'd rather my parents come see me. But I do have to go back uh, occasionally. And when I go back, I'm really comfortable. Like, I I don't have to. I went back in uh, December for the first time, like four years. And I had been having a really hard time here. And it was just a real, I just came back so much more relaxed. That's partially because I didn't have to take a toddler with me. You know, I didn't have to, I didn't have to be a dad for, like, ten days. Um, but, yeah, that's home. Sudan is home.
2: So, going back to assimilation, or, uh, not assimilation, adoption of other cultures, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you an example. So, in my case, like, I'm not Mexican, and I think Day of the Dead is a fun celebration to, like, commemorate. Mm-hmm um, your, your, uh, deceased family members or friends, um, that's something that I take on or might take on. Is there anything of that similarity? Um, culturally?
1: I may certainly not in terms of, um, like holidays or whatever, but, you know, I mean, I think it's a natural thing to to consider yourself for an African person in America to consider yourself black at some point. A lot of Africans do not consider themselves black. I do I for a long time did not consider myself black. Not, you know, because I was better than them or whatever, but because my dad uh, had said to me, he said, you know, don't consider yourself black because you don't have their history. You don't, you know, you cannot have like You can, you are superficially like a black person in America, but you don't have the depth of what has happened to black people in America. So, you know, don't, don't, if you make that assumption, you know, that you're black, sometimes it will backfire because people will be very offended. And I took that way, 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 way to heart, like too much, you know, and I just did not consider myself black. I was Sudanese and you know that's just you know it's neither good nor bad it's just how it is but the older you get the more you realize that in america you know black and white are not are things you can kind of feel inside but mainly they're imposed on you by society and if you get stopped by a cop you know in the south they're not gonna ask you or are you your people from here no they don't they just they assume you're black and you'll be treated at, like that Um but having said that, I've always had, you know, there's always been like a part of me that knows that we are the same, black people and, and Sudanese people, black American people and Sudanese people. So, uh, you know, I, I have championed, you know, I don't even think of them as their causes, think of it as their causes anymore, like our causes. You know, racial equality is important for me, it's for us, uh, whether or not we're Sudanese or or whatever. So I've definitely taken on, taken on that. But you know, I definitely I know that a lot of black people I went to college with are like, Why do you talk like that? Because I don't sound like all the you know, a lot of the people I went to college with. A lot of black people I went to college with. I sound like white people. And people some people just assume you're gay. Like if you talk so differently, then it must be Maybe there's maybe there's a maybe there's a simple solution you must be homosexual um, and I was like no no I'm not I'm, I'm you know I'm into the ladies I just talk like this because this is how I talk I learned English from watching television and hanging out with the kids in my neighborhood and at my school most of whom were white kids um, this is just how it is I mean it's it's neither good nor bad it's just how it is. I struggle with it a little bit because I also need my daughter to know that ultimately you know she's black you know she may not she may be like a little coffee colored you know cafe au lait colored baby but she's this is America and there's two things there's white which is white and there's everything else which may as well be black or Mexican you know those are basically your two you're not Asian you know you're clearly not asian so you're though you're one of those other you're the one of those other ones and people will treat you differently and i am conscious of what that means so i need her to know so that's that's also part of culture i think it's going to be good for her. i don't think anyone needs to like in going forward in the world I, don't, I think it's silly to lock yourselves in like for people to lock themselves into these rigid arbitrary categories but Whereas for some people, it's just like, oh, that's, that's dumb. Or, you know, you're, you're not really, you know, Mexican, or you're not, you're not really Korean. You're just like a white guy. Um, for black people, it's very dangerous not to remember that you're black. The implications are very, it's dangerous, not, it's dangerous to forget where you stand in society, even if nothing is going to happen, it's better better to be prepared.
2: How does that play into in Sudan? What,
1: what do you mean? Like in like, Sudan, uh, everyone looks like me. That one of the things for me. I never really noticed race in America, which, in a way, which uh, you know, looking back at it now, is a, is a way of saying I am technically white. I don't notice because I'm I have all of the advantages of a white person in America. We are upper middle class, I do what I want. I'm not stopped by anything. I don't even remember. And part of that is because when I go home, right? Everybody looks like me. I'm not an outsider. And even when I was here, I wasn't there was enough kids, Sudanese kids around me that I was never really that much of an outsider. I mean, I was an outsider in the fact that we ate different stuff than other people ate. It's not it's not exciting. It's not sexy. It's not like Christmas. So for me, I don't know. I don't know how I take that back. I do know that Sudanese people in the Sudan have a intolerant again, surprise, and unsurprisingly intolerant view of African Americans, because they, all they know, you know, people who live at home, all they know about black people is what they see on TV, in the news, or, or, uh, movies. Um, so, they, they, you know. Which is the same reason why white people in America can have the uh, the terrible attitude that they have about black people, because they don't know any black people. You know, all they see is what's on TV and what's, and that's a very thin slice of uh, you know black culture,
2: hmm. right? So, do you think living between cultures is going to be the norm soon? Right.
1: Well, you know, it's the norm now. People just don't recognize it. You know, I I think for Americans who are honest with themselves and anyone who's honest with themselves, you don't live the same way your grandparents lived. You know, if you tried to give your grandparents, you know, Pad Thai, they flip out. Now everybody eats Pad Thai. You can get Pad Thai in Kansas City, right? And that's just one example. The music that people listen to, the way they dress, um, you know, uh, it's more... It's more it's easier to see when you're not here. When you are in, you know, Barcelona or Khartoum or Shanghai. And you see like all like everyone's wearing blue jeans. And everyone has like a shirt that has some pithy phrase on it. A lot of it a lot of the time in English. And in places where English is not the language. Right? You can be in Japan and you know someone has a shirt that says you know I don't know having fun okay right and there's nothing weird to them about that because they're living between cultures you know there's things not everything that comes from another culture is great not everything that comes from another culture is bad pick the stuff you like at least
2: Um, can you paint a picture and like the sound of Sudan Like, what it would sound like and what it would look like?
1: Okay. Um, The Sudan is... uh, This is mostly the north. Um, Khartoum, when you land in it, seems uniformly brown. It's dusty. Um, And as a result, the buildings, even when they're painted a different color, green or or white or, or pink. Eventually they're sort of brownish brownish green, brownish pink. Um, there's a lot of sandstorms um, and they just sweep through there's like a season, sandstorm season right before the rainy season at the end of the summer um, and then occasionally like during the year they'll just be like freak ones. There's the Nile the Nile is right there and it, you know, things, everything grows um, sound-wise it depends on where you are um, there are... I, I remember we would go visit my uncle's house um, and he lived in Al uh, Al-Kalakla which is in the sort of southern Khartoum and it's a new, relatively new neighborhood, I think it's built in the you know 50s and 60s or something, or 60s and 70s, really more. Um, and you would wake up in the morning and there's the sound on the other side of the house of, you know, My aunt and uh, you know labor is cheap, so they had a maid. And there's also like some my female cousins, if they weren't in school at the time, if it was like summer break, um, they'd be like talking and you know preparing stuff for lunch. Um, There's the sound of uh, we gumri, which I think is a nightingale, and so you just hear (laughs) that. I don't know, it doesn't, that makes it sound like an owl, but it isn't. And you hear it, you'd hear them in the trees. Um, They had chickens, so sometimes you'd hear the the chickens. It's just really quiet. They, you know, they were set far back from the road in their neighborhood, like the main road. And so you didn't, it's not like you were hearing cars unless someone was driving by their house. Um, Sometimes you'd hear uh, vendors. You know, the guys that would sell onions door to door, or milk. Uh, And they would come, they would have like uh, donkey carts, typically. Um, The wind, the wind in the, the wind in the palms. They have a lot of palm trees there, like date palms. The wind in the palms and the sound of the birds. And it's... really peaceful. It's hard to describe, sometimes I wish I... I wish I had this stuff so I could take, you know, so I could record because I feel like all of that's going to go away
2: soon. How Sudanese are you?
1: Very. I mean, this there's a, you know, a thin layer of American and and other stuff. I'd say probably 75% Sudanese. You know, you can't live here as long as I've lived here without having ideas about things. And, you know, you're having, you, you know, you, that that <laughs> that sense, you know, you can't do this to me, I'm an American. Like, that it just grows on you. Or the sense of, like, justice that other, other people in other places don't have because they don't expect it. Here, you expect it.
2: What would you tell a young person who was, like, a you mm-hmm. as a kid? Growing up kind of with more than one culture, coming, and going, and things like that, what words of wisdom would you...
1: Don't worry so much about fitting in. Um, worry about being true to who you are. And take the time to figure out who that is. And take the time to explore stuff. But be be who you are. Uh, and don't worry so much about fitting in, especially when you're from somewhere else. And it sucks for a long time, or, or it can suck for a long time, but you know, you, you'll get older, you'll meet people that appreciate, you know, where you're from, you'll meet people from where you're from who aren't old, lame people, who don't get it. Um, you'll meet people from here who will accept you for who you are. So. Yeah. Don't, uh, don't worry so much about fitting in. Worry more about becoming the person you're supposed to be. Thank Mer- you. Mercy.
2: You're
1: welcome. <laughs> welcome.